Jewish audio on Kaban.org. Welcome. Continuing Sefer Ahava, the book of love of Hashem, where we segue from mitzvah to mitzvah. Mitzvahs which discuss the love of God and express the love of God. We now segue to the Hilchais Mila, laws of circumcision. And first the Rambam traces the biblical source. Mitzvahs asei achas. This is in the Torah, one positive mitzvah. Vihi, and this mitzvah would be lomul hashorim. To circumcise males, preferably by Yom Hashmini, on the eighth day of their birth, from birth. Obeyer mitzvazu, and the explanation of this commandment, the prokim elu, upcoming in these chapters. Peter Krishan, chapter 1. By way of introduction, the mitzvah of circumcision is a mitzvah given by God to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai, along with the other mitzvahs. It's one of the 613 mitzvahs. However, the mitzvah of circumcision also has a history, going back to Abraham, going back to Abraham Avinu, where when Abraham was 99 years old, God appeared to him and said, I want you to circumcise yourself. And he said, what? You want me to what? And uh, you know the rest of the story. So, that was the first time the Torah discusses circumcision at great length. But the mitzvah itself was reiterated clearly at Mount Sinai along with the other mitzvahs. But it has its roots with Abraham and all of his descendants following Abraham. The mitzvah was given in the section of the commandment to Abraham for circumcision. That every father is obligated to circumcise his son at the age of eight days. And back then, when the world was a world... Also, with masters and slaves, that was the culture back then, and the Torah legislated many laws governing that aspect of life, of compassion from master to slave, and gentleness, and prohibition against abuse, and all of that stuff. Today's world, it's difficult for Westerners to comprehend the whole thing, and I'm a Westerner, so I have a difficulty comprehending the whole thing, but you go back in history, you see it was a culture of slavery. You lost the war, everybody became slaves. So the Torah also mandates that a Jew who purchases or who takes a slave, that slave has to be told that you're going to become part of the Jewish people. If you're a male, you're also going to be circumcised. And if and when you're liberated, you're going to become a full-fledged Jew, assimilating into the Jewish people. If the prospective slave said, that's great, I'd love to, terrific. If not, then they gave him 12 months 
in which to consider this matter and change his mind and agree to become a Jew and to undergo circumcision. If not, then the master had a right to sell him to a non-Jewish culture, which is the last thing the slave wanted because it was much more comfortable usually in a Jewish culture. Why am I talking about slavery now? Because it's a very integral part of the mitzvah of circumcision. Because a slave also has to be circumcised. And the question is when? On day eight or on the day of his purchase or on the day of his acquisition? What's the deal here? So that's the background as it relates to slaves. Aleph, paragraph one, Mila. The mitzvah of circumcision is mitzvah asay. It's a positive mitzvah. And if one does not fulfill this positive mitzvah, there is a punishment of the cutting off of the soul. Shenemar, as it says, the orel zochar asher leyimel esbisar or losay, an uncircumcised male whose foreskin will not be circumcised. That soul will be cut off from its people. Pass this down to that gentleman there. It's a mitzvah for the father to circumcise his son. This is the obligation of the father to see to it that his son is circumcised. And there's also a commandment to the master to circumcise his slaves. Whether these slaves are Yelid Bayis, born in his house, so as they're born, the mitzvah kicks in. And for a slave born in the house, the mitzvah has to be performed on the eighth day. Or when a slave is acquired. And in that case, on the day of acquisition. If, however, the father transgresses, he doesn't follow the mitzvah. A father does not circumcise his child. For example, we had in our generation many, many Jews from the former Soviet Union, all of us, who did not have the courage to face imprisonment or job loss. They did not have their children secretly circumcised. Day after day passed by when their children were not circumcised. So the question is, what happens? Should they do it the first possible moment? And if they leave the Soviet Union and the child is now 25, does the child have to do it? These are some of the mitzvahs we're going to, some of the questions we're going to visit here. Of our ho'ov, if the father transgressed, intentionally or unintentionally, a ha'odin or the master, and he does not circumcise them. And many of you remember the culture where there were organizations such as the Chabad Russian program and others who would buy bicycles for children and tickets to Disneyland and bribe them to undergo circumcision as teenagers. And uh, it was a uh, an era, uh, it was an amazing era when adult adolescents uh, went, underwent circumcision with self-sacrifice in, 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 the, in the hundreds. So if somebody transgresses and does not undergo circumcision, Beetle Mitzvah Sase nullifies 
the opportunity to perform a positive mitzvah, but you can't say that the punishment of the cutting off of the soul kicks in. Because that punishment has to do not with the father and not with the master, but with the person himself. The person themselves has to undergo circumcision when they reach a certain age of majority. And they're still not circumcised. If the father or the master is not responsible in the execution of this mitzvah, then the court and the community has to see to it that the child or slave is circumcised in a timely way. And not to wantonly permit uncircumcised children to run around in the Jewish community or slaves. So that's the general rule. Nevertheless, you don't go and circumcise someone's child without his knowledge. You don't do vigilante circumcision. You know, take him to the back of the shed and... Uh, doesn't work that way. Unless the time passed and he wantonly and intentionally says, I'm not going to do this. Then, in the time that the courts had control of these things, they could mandate it. They could do a court-ordered circumcision. Conceptually, the court can coerce circumcision. Now what happens if for whatever reason that never happened? Nisalem Bibezdin, he never got to a court-mandated circumcision. And he was never circumcised. And now one day he wakes up, voila, he's 13 years old. He's bar mitzvah. And he's still not circumcised. Kishiyagado or Kishiyigdal when he becomes of majority age, which is over bar mitzvah. Now the mitzvah, the obligation, transfers from parent to child himself, who now reached the age of majority. So now it's his mitzvah. And every day that passes, when he enters into the age of majority, He's not circumcising himself. He's not permitting himself to be circumcised. He is daily nullifying, not utilizing an opportunity to perform a positive mitzvah. Every day you have to perform the mitzvah. Ah, well, however, you can't say the punishment kicks in. The cutting off of the soul does not kick in until he dies without circumcision. And even then, if it was intentional, but if it was out of his control, and we'll talk about certain scenarios of out of control, that's a whole different ballgame. For example, one of the out of his control scenarios is if parents have a child who undergoes circumcision and God forbid passes away from complications. Terrible thing. They have a second child undergoes circumcisions and God forbid passes away. The third child is not allowed to be circumcised because we're concerned that there's a DNA issue here with whatever it is, uh, hemophilia or whatever the modern terminology would be. 
blood, infection, whatever, that does not permit circumcision. So this child, by halacha, should not be circumcised. That's a case where a child could reach the age of 120 and by halacha, by Jewish law, not undergo circumcision. But that is, of course, a, a rare situation. Gimel 3, Echad Eved Shenelet Bishus Yisrael, whether the slave was born as in the domain of the Jew, in that case he was born into a Jewish home. You know, it's interesting, in the era of slavery by Torah law, if a Kohen had a slave, the slave eats truma. The slave eats the special Kohen food, which an Israelite may not eat. Because the, the, the slave becomes part of the family. Or a slave purchased from Gentiles, but acquired, and we're not talking about an employee here. Employees don't have to be circumcised. We're talking about, in the era of slavery, a slave. The master is obligated to see that they undergo circumcision. Ella, the difference is, as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> a slave born in the house has to be circumcised to eight days, just like a Jewish child born in the house. And a slave acquired with money, Nimel is circumcised by Yem Shanilkach on the day which he's acquired. Even if this slave child was purchased on the day of his birth, technically he should be circumcised on the day of his birth. However, commentaries explain, that is conditional upon the fact that it would be safe medically. And there's an argument that says it's not safe medically to circumcise until eight days. So you have to wait for medical purposes, not for halachic purposes. As we will learn, any danger of something going wrong with circumcision always is enough to postpone the circumcision, even on the eighth day. So technically this child it, it should be circumcised even on his day of birth, but... Only if we're safe and secure that it's not dangerous. Dalid yesh miknas kesef Here the Rambam is going to tell you some hypothetical scenarios. You know, interesting hypothetical scenarios where it's possible that a slave purchased, which we just learned has to be circumcised on the day of his acquisition, it's possible that there should be a purchased slave circumcised at the age of eight days. Yes, you bias, and it's possible for a slave born in the house, where the mitzvah would kick in on the day he was born. What is the scenario? If somebody purchases a maidservant, and he purchases her fetus, her unborn fetus with her, and she gives birth. Then this fetus should be circumcised on the eighth day. Even though there were two separate contracts. One contract is he's buying the maidservant. A second contract is he's buying the fetus. 
Barei Oeved, Barei Uber, Atzmei Miknas Kesef. The child is an acquisition, but Hayal Bekona Imekedim Shenayilad. But being that his mother was acquired before the birth, even though he's being acquired separately, Nimalishmeina, he would be circumcised only on the eighth day because his mother was also acquired. On the other hand, Lokach Shivcha. If somebody purchases a maidservant for the children she will have, he purchased a maidservant. He purchased a maidservant with the clear knowledge, conditional upon the fact that she would not be immersed in a mikvah and become a Jew like all slaves. He's only purchasing her for the children she would have. Even though this child was born... In his house, Nimo b'yem shenayilad, he is circumcised on the day he was born, if it makes sense. Why? Because his mother was not a slave, so his birth is not considered a birth in the home of a Jew. Because this child, Ki'ilu, we picture as if, he was an acquisition, as if they purchased him today. Because his mother had no intention of becoming a slave. His mother was going to go back home. She sold her fetus. In order that the child should be considered home-born, however, if she did immerse in a mikvah, becoming a Jew and a slave, and she undoes the condition of she's not doing it, she's only interested in selling the fetus, then that child becomes a yelid bias, born in the house, and the mitzvah of circumcision kicks in on the eighth day. So these are some of the scenarios of the mitzvah of circumcising a slave. Again, I want to underscore that in the era of slaves, slaves were immersed in a mikvah, they accepted all the mitzvahs that don't conflict with their duties, and when they were liberated, they became full-fledged Jews. There are stories told of great Talmudic and Mishnaic scholars. They were in shul, they were short a minion. They liberated their slave, and they said kedusha. You know, they had a minion, because their slave was a mitzvah-observant Jew who was only exempt in time-related mitzvahs, so he could do his duty. And uh, if you haven't heard of these laws, they seem very strange and very alien, alien, and uh, me having been born in New Jersey, they are very strange and very alien. But this is the culture that the world once had, and again, the Torah perspective is a very, very compassionate perspective in a world which functioned with slavery. But here we're only learning the laws as it relates to circumcision. Six, what if somebody purchased an adult slave from non-Jews or even from idolaters? And the slave said, listen, you purchased me, I'll be your slave. But don't you call a moil, I'm not interested. McGalgalin, this guy really wants this slave, and he enters into a condition he'll give him time. You can negotiate with him for 12 months. Yes, and I'll cane over 12 months. It's forbidden to have this slave in one's home, in one's 
employee, so to speak, while he's uncircumcised, he must sell him to a non-Jew because Jewish slaves must be circumcised and must be Jewish. However, if they made a condition that this is the deal way before he purchased him, he may keep him as a slave, even though he's uncircumcised. So now, instead of becoming a Jew, this slave will become a Noahide, Accept the seven Noahide laws. He has to accept the seven Noahide laws, which is belief in one God and not to worship idolatry and immorality and all of the seven Noahide laws. Then he will be like a stranger settler. There is a law which we will learn about called a ger toshev, not a convert but a non-Jew who wants to live in Israel. He has to recognize the sovereignty of the Jewish people over Israel. He has to accept the seven Noahide laws, but he doesn't have to be a Jew. He doesn't have to accept the 613 mitzvahs. Avol, however, if this guy says, I'm not interested in even accepting the seven Noahide laws, and the Jewish people are in full control of Israel... As they were back then, if he refuses to accept the seven mitzvahs, and he still continues to practice idolatry and the other transgressions, violating the seven mitzvahs, then he can be taken to court, and possibly even given the death penalty, because he goes contrary to God's seven Noahide laws. And of course, the commentaries say that this does not apply in today's world, uh, when we don't have the whole idea of a ger toshev, of a stranger settler, which can only happen when the jubilee year is in practice, which is when every Jew is in Israel, and, and so on and so forth. But it shows conceptually the importance of accepting the seven Noahide laws for a non-Jew who lives in Israel. As he says here, the whole practice of accepting the stranger settler only kicks in when the jubilee year is in practice. Now we segue over to a different category of laws. What about a convert? <clears throat> Somebody converts and becomes a Jew. In general, the process of a convert, of converting, is that a convert has to study about Judaism. And then, if and when that convert is ready, the convert has to stand in front of a beddin and accept the religion of the Jewish religion, except mitzvahs, kabbalat mitzvos, except the basic mitzvahs of the mitzvahs that uh, are, are key to Judaism, tefillin and Shabbos and education and, and so on. And for a male convert, that child also has to undergo circumcision. Circumcision is a key element of the whole idea of conversion. Along with that, during the time of the Beis Amigdash stood, there had to be a sacrifice brought. So, in any event, we see that circumcision is part of this process. Immersion in a mikveh is another key element. A convert has to immerse in a mikveh in front of a bedbin. So we learn in 7, Ger Shenichnas Likal Yisrael, a convert who enters into the congregation of Israel, 
Chayiv milot chila. One of the first things he has to undergo is circumcision. What if he says, I'm very happy to be circumcised, but I'm already circumcised. My Gentile parents circumcised me. Can't do it twice. If he circumcised when he was a non-Jew, there still has to be a symbolic ritual circumcision. There has to be a little, tiny extraction of the blood of the covenant. On the day of his conversion, so that we take a little tiny sharp object like a needle and just cause a little blood to be drawn from the circumcision area, almost painless, it's chick-chuck. And that is the ritual, symbolic circumcision to somebody who's already been circumcised. It's called hatafas, hatafat dam brit. The flow of the Blood of circumcision. Or a baby born already circumcised. Again, a little blood has to be drawn on the eighth day. Andragonus and androgynous, who's a child with both male and female sexual organs. Has to be circumcised on the eighth day. So also... Yitze Dufin, a Caesarean, a C-section child. Umishi Eshleste Orlas, or a child that was born with two foreskins. And the question is, how is a child born with two foreskins? One opinion is he's born with two foreskins. The other opinion is he's born with two male organs, and each one has a foreskin. But either, in, in any event, these are not normal situations. Molin Eshte and Bashmini, they both have to be circumcised on the eighth day. Eight. When is circumcision done? <clears throat> Can it be done over a 24-hour period of the eighth day? No. Ein molin la'elam. Circumcision is always elabayim <clears throat> during daylight. A bris has to be done during daylight. Achar alois hashemesh. After sunrise. Whether this happens on the eighth day, which is called a bris in its time, or for some reason the bris was postponed, it's on the ninth day and onward. Parenthetically, a bris could happen on the eighth day, which is the preference, or any day thereafter, if it was not done on the eighth day. But a bris can never be done on the seventh day, or the sixth day, or the fifth day, under normal circumstances. We're not talking about the slaves that we talked about before. Shenamar on the eighth day, bayom beloy balayla. It has to be daylight and not nighttime. Mo mishol kosher. What if he did the bris after dawn, before sunrise? It's okay, not preferable, but okay. And there are some locales, some communities, where sunrise takes place very late in winter months, such as places like London and Paris and other places where sunrise is not till very... Any of the northern communities, you have a very late sunrise in the winter. There's always a problem there. How do you daven? What time can you put on the film? How do you go to work? 
Okay, so we know that the morning after sunrise is preferable. What about the rest of the day? You can do the bris mila all day. As long as it's daylight, as long as the sun is still out. Nevertheless, it's preferable to do a bris the earlier in the day, the better. And here is the principle. People filled with alacrity, people who are eager to perform mitzvahs, perform them as early as possible in the day. There's actually a beautiful letter from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, where somebody wrote a letter to the Rebbe and said, listen, I could do a bris in the morning, but I'm going to have very, very few people show up. Because people have to go to work. Or I can do a bris in the afternoon or the evening. It's a summer Sunset is until late, late, late. I could do a bris in the mid-afternoon when after work, five o'clock, and I could have hundreds of people. Yet I know it says, Rizim Agdim and the Mitzvahs, that people should perform the mitzvah bris as early as possible in the day. But I'm only going to have 12 people. What should I do? So the Rebbe actually wrote a letter dealing with this issue. And the Rebbe said, you're right. The halacha says, Rizim Agdimen Lemitzvahs. You should do the bris in the morning if possible. But there's also another halacha. Another principle. And that is the principle of Berov Am Hadrat Melech. With an abundance of people is the glory of the king. Mitzvah should be done with large groups of people. So it's a mitzvah to have a large bris. Said the Rebbe, in your circumstance, I believe the mitzvah, the opportunity of having a large group of friends and relatives will supersede the mitzvah of doing it in the morning and I bless you to do it in the afternoon and that explains the culture which you've all I'm sure seen of in the long summer days sometimes doing a bris in the afternoon when it's a weekday when the morning would be a problem so I'm just giving a little bit of an interesting background into why you might see this when we have the zrizim magdim and the mitzvahs halacha which is of course a halacha. Nine. What day can a bris be done? If it's on the eighth day, the answer is any day. Even on Shabbat, even on Yom Kippur. There's no day, even on Cinco de Mayo. There's no day that a bris cannot be done. Mila bismano, provided the bris is happening on the eighth day. Deiches, a Shabbos, it even overrides and supersedes Shabbos. You know, in order to perform a bris, there are certain prohibitions, certain transgressions of Shabbos. But the mitzvah bris supersedes them. Now that's only if it's the eighth day. But if it's another day, the ninth day, the tenth day, never overrides, supersedes, not Shabbos, and not major festivals. So the only way it can override and supersede the Shabbos is on the eighth day. And we're going to learn some caveats here. Whether the bris is on the eighth day or not, it supersedes the mitzvah of never removing the signs of leprosy. The Torah says if God forbid somebody develops leprosy, they have to show the leprosy signs to the Kohen. And it says, don't be a wise guy, don't remove them. <laughs> don't remove the leprosy and then go to the Kohen. So here, if you're doing a bris, and you happen to be having to remove 
the leprous condition because it's on the foreskin, that's fine. The bris is more important than the mitzvah of not removing the leprosy. If there was a sign of leprosy on the foreskin, no problem, cut it off together with the foreskin. Even though cutting off the sign of the leprosy is a violation, clearly, of a negative commandment. The principle is, let the positive commandment come, we learned this a similar principle with regard to tzitzis and shatnes. Ten. Just as the circumcision of sons supersedes Shabbos, so also the circumcision of slaves. When they are circumcised on the eighth day, it also supersedes Shabbos. If the eighth day is Shabbos. And here this shows us that the slave is a 100% Jew. Chutz, with the exception of the exception we learned about earlier, Meulid Boy is a slave born in the house. where his mother didn't immerse until she bore him. Even though we said he should be circumcised on the eighth day, because he's not a full fledged Jew when he was born. <coughs> Eleven, cotton shenelik shumo, a child born circumcised. Another scenario, a child who was born in the eighth month, before he is mature, before he's full grown, here he refers to an interesting principle. And of course, this was before they had incubators and neonatal units in hospitals and neonatal specialists. So the Talmud tells you a principle. A child born in the ninth month, that's a normal condition, is fine, is a healthy child. A child born in the seventh month, the Yiddish expression is azibital, a child born in the seventh month, could also be a healthy child, because children could be born in the seventh month. But a child born in the eighth month is not a healthy child because it's a premature ninth-month baby. So in the times when they didn't have incubators and neonatal units, this child was not going to live, this eighth-month child. There's a, there's a joke they tell. This is a joke it's on the lighter side, but I just want to make everybody a little happy that there was this couple who got married, they were a little bit uh, on the liberal side, and uh, a miracle happens. Five months after their marriage, a baby is born. Mazel tov. Five months. So they come to the couple, these are very innocent people from Chelm, you know, and they say, how is it possible that a child is born after five months? Lucy, explain it to me. He says, it's very simple, it's azibital. Azibitl is one of these seventh-month children. That's what we have here, Azibitl. He says, yeah, but your child was not born in the seventh month. Your child was born in the fifth month. He says, don't you understand? Azibitl means the baby is born two months early. So our baby was born two months early. The five-month baby, it's called new math. So somebody born in the eighth month of pregnancy before they're ripe, so to speak, 
before they're fully cooked, shukenefel, which would be like a stillborn, because by halacha, this child is probably not going to make it. Then don't violate the Shabbos for his briz. Or the Dolphon, a C-section baby, is not considered a normal birth. You can't count the day from the day of birth because it's a C-section. You're lifting them out of the womb instead of coming through the womb. Or the androgynous and androgynous, or anybody who has two foreskins, all of these abnormal settings, do not supersede Shabbos. So for all practical purposes, we live in a world with too many C-sections. A baby who is born C-section on Shabbos cannot have his bris on Shabbos. The bris takes place Sunday. Which is the ninth day, you can't violate Shabbos if it's not 100% consistent and normal. 12. A baby is born between the two sons, which means there are two parts to night. One is the beginning of nightfall, and that is sunset. And the other is the end of nightfall, and that is stars out. Suffolk bayom, suffolk balayla. For example, if sunset is 8 p.m. and stars out is 8.45, and this baby was born 8.20, we don't know if he was born on Wednesday or Thursday. We don't know if he was born on Friday or Shabbat. It happens a lot. Meinin min so we count from the night. And he's circumcised on the ninth day. Why? Because maybe it's the eighth day. Which means it's never acceptable to circumcise on the seventh day. Better to go eighth, ninth, than seventh, eighth. And if the baby was born Erev Shabbos, he does not supersede Shabbos. The bris is on Sunday. You never supersede the Shabbos in doubt. I recently attended, was, was part of a situation where twins were born. One twin was clearly born before sunset. So the bris was a week later. The other twin was clearly born after sunset. So the bris was on the next day. Yud Gimel, somebody born in the eighth month. So here we want to know, is this one of these Talmudic eight months where the kid ain't going to make it, God forbid. Again, today we have, thank God, amazing neonatal stuff. Amazing stuff where most kids can make it today. If the child had normal, full-grown hair and fingernails, then the kid's going to make is He's a complete, healthy kid. He's born in the seventh month. He stayed a little too long in the womb for a seventh-month baby. You can deal with him on Shabbat. He's not like a stone. Because if a child is, is a stillborn, you're not allowed to touch him on Shabbos. But if he's born, and, and his hair 
is not is not healthy. His nails are not normal. Then this is a kid that ain't going to make it. He's an eight-month baby. Who came out early before the ninth month. And came out not fully done. One could argue that he's like a stone. You can't even touch him. Nevertheless, certainly not circumcise him. But if he tarried for 30 days, then he survived, he becomes a 100% person. The rule is that any child who lives for 30 days is a full, complete, viable child, and this actually expresses itself in many different halachot. If God forbid a child is stillborn, then there's no shiva, the parents don't mourn, there's no kaddish, it's just a quiet burial. The same applies for a child who passes away, God forbid, within the first 30 days, there's no formal mourning, there's no uh, public funeral, just a private burial, there's no kaddish. Once a child reaches 30 days and up, that's the age of viability, then there's full mourning for this child with shiva, and Shloshim, and Kaddish, and the whole nine yards. So that's that 30-day mark is a critical mark in Halacha. Now, we're not talking emotion, we're talking Halacha. In emotion, a loss is a loss, and almost every family in one form or another has had a loss of some sorts, either in pregnancy or at some point in time. It's, it's unfortunately, even today, very common. But the key I'm bringing out here is that a child has to establish viability to reach 30 days old in order to be considered a full birth. Uh, f- 14. Somebody born in the seventh month of pregnancy. He's born complete. Then he's a 100% viable child. There's no reason if he's healthy that you can't. Circumcise him on Shabbos. We're not sure if it's seven or eight then there's no reason you cannot circumcise him on Shabbos. If he's a zibetl, and he's healthy, why not? He should supersede the Shabbos. But if he's an eighth-month baby, then again, you're not violating Shabbos. Because he's not a viable child. So it's like you're cutting a piece of meat. Because he's going to pass on, God forbid. Therefore, either way, if he looks viable and he seems viable, and the moral says, he's okay, you can do it. What if the child sticks out his head in the birth process? Between suns, uh, between sunset and stars out. This was Friday afternoon, even though he doesn't have a full birth until Friday night. So the birth was Friday night. You can't circumcise him on Shabbos because maybe he was born on Friday. So Shabbos would be the ninth day. So you have to wait till, till, till Sunday. The rule is that any bris that does not supersede Shabbos does not supersede the first day of the Chag, such as the first day of Sukkot or Pesach or Shuas, but does 
supersede the second of Shnei Yom Tov and Rosh Hashanah, the two days of Rosh Hashanah, which are considered Kiyom Ma'arichta Einadocha. They do not supersede Leis Harishim Leis Hasheni, because the second day of Rosh Hashanah is like the first day. An untimely circumcision, never supersedes the two days of Rosh Hashanah, because it's like the first day of any other Yom Very important law coming up, 16, someone, a baby who is not well, <clears throat> the doctor says he's not 100%. You cannot circumcise him until he's better. The doctor has to pronounce him healthy enough for circumcision. And even then, if there was anything seriously wrong with him, you have to count a minimum of seven healthy days, 24-hour periods. Only then can you do the bris. When does this apply? When he developed a fever. Or similar illness. But if his eyes were sensitive... When his eyes will be opened and without this infection or whatever it was, you can immediately circumcise him because there was no fever. There was no serious stuff. And here's a common thing today. If a child on his eighth day is very yellowish, jaundice, and in halacha, John, even though doctors today are not that concerned with jaundice, but halacha is very concerned with jaundice. In Molinais, there are various treatments that they give for jaundice. Sometimes they put them under lights. Sometimes there's other medical treatments. In Molinais, you can't circumcise them until the blood flows normally. And his look will return like a normal look. So these days the Moel sent you to take a Billy Rubin test. It's a certain test which gives you the level of jaundice. I went to school with Billy Rubin. If he was very red, like they painted him red, then he should not be circumcised until his blood. Uh, flows normally, should look like any other baby, because a very ruddy complexion is part of, it can, can be considered illness. You have to be very careful. Don't think that you should be religious and undergo circumcision, because it's a mitzvah to do it on time. <clears throat> it's a mitzvah to be safe. You'd rather be safe than sorry. Number one thing is health. Isha Shemola Benorishin, a woman whose first child was circumcised. I talked about this earlier, and he dies. Shashilas Kaychi simply had no strength. His strength was sapped out of him. The same thing, God forbid, happened with the second child. And he died. It doesn't matter if it was the same husband or a different husband, because this according to commentaries, follows more the mother than the father. Certainly don't circumcise the second, the third <coughs> child in a timely way. You wait until he's much bigger and stronger. And even then you check with a doctor. You never circumcise a child unless he's 100% healthy. Because 
a question of life and death supersedes everything. In general, in Judaism, life and death supersedes everything. You violate Yom Kippur for a doubt that someone's life is in peril. You could always circumcise later, but you can't bring people back. You can't bring back even one soul. Uh, one little uh, baby cannot be resurrected. We're not in the resurrecting business. And therefore, one has to be extremely meticulous not to push the envelope on timely circumcision. End of chapter 1.